Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 15, verses 1 through 13. 2 Samuel chapter 15. This continuing saga, we could call it, of the life of David. And today we will conclude the sermon series on the life of David. It's, this is the eighth sermon in the series. It could easily have been 20 or maybe even 30 sermons on the life of David because of all of the different places that the Lord brought him, the different experiences that God brought him through. He has certainly one of the most dramatic lives that is recorded in all of Scripture. And uh, today we, we, can, we end the story with some drama that unfolds in David's family. Um, we follow David from his anointing when he was living as a shepherd, and that's really kind of represented in the image that we've seen each week of the series, a shepherd on a hillside. Um, I hope that that's not only caused you to think of David with his sheep, but how the Lord is our shepherd, those great words that David wrote in Psalm 23. And David went from tending sheep in a field to defeating Goliath in battle, and it was really after that that um, the trajectory of his life just really took off. He served Saul, playing and singing music for him, um, and uh, became friends with the prince Jonathan. He worshipped before the Lord when becoming king and the Ark of the Covenant came into Jerusalem. And uh, last week we considered David's sin with Bathsheba where um, the Lord saw his sin and rebuked David and David turned back towards the Lord um, in repentance. And so today's passage actually takes us several years into the future after the episode of David and Bathsheba. David's children in this story are grown, and he has had quite a few children from various wives. We see in the scriptures that wherever there is polygamy, that there is suffering. And so that certainly is the case in our story today. And um, if you've already opened your Bibles, you'll see the first two words of our passage, after this. So if you would see those words, you would rightly ask a good question, after what? What has just happened um, in setting the stage for our passage today? It's like reading one of the Apostle Paul's letters where he says, therefore. And um, one of my professors at seminary once said, if you see a therefore, find out what it's there for. <laughs> and that's what we see also after this. We need to know what's just happened in Second Samuel 13 and 14. Well, the curse of Nathan over David that the Lord gave Nathan to speak to David was in Second Samuel 12 verse 10 that the sword shall never depart from David's house because he despised the Lord and has taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be his wife. So remember that curse. The sword will never depart from David's house because of his sin with Bathsheba. So what follows in 2 Samuel 13 and 14 is that David has children, Solomon being one of those children, and the, the throne is promised to Solomon in, um, in 2 Samuel uh, 13. But uh, there's a lot of drama that unfolds between his other children as well. And we won't get into all of the details there, but suffice to say that David's family is extremely dysfunctional. 
And I would encourage you to read the stories of 2 Samuel 13 and 14. They're tragic stories where there is violence and sexual sin. And so um, part of the, the story there is that Absalom, one of David's sons, assassinates another one of David's sons. And Absalom, after assassinating his half-brother Amnon, flees from the family. So Absalom commits this sin and flees from the family. After a time of fleeing, Absalom is restored to David and his family. David shows grace to Absalom, taking him back into the household. And that's what is described in the after this. So Absalom has assassinated his half-brother because of Amnon's terrible sin. And, uh, and now Absalom is being, he, he's been restored to the household. So, uh, having already prayed for God's blessing upon our reading of his word, let's read the story now of what happens with Absalom after he's restored to the family in 2 Samuel 15, starting at verse 1. After this, Absalom got himself a chariot and horses and 50 men to run before him. And Absalom used to rise early and stand beside the way of the gate. And when any man had a dispute to come before the king for judgment, Absalom, again, who was the son of David, would call to him and say, From what city are you? And when he said, Your servant is of such and such a tribe in Israel, Absalom would say to him, See, your claims are good and right, but there's no man designated by the king to hear you. Then Absalom would say, Oh, that I were judge in the land. Then every man with a dispute or cause might come to me, and I would give him justice. And whenever a man came near to pay homage to him, he would put out his hand and take hold of him and kiss him. Thus Absalom did to all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And at the end of four years, Absalom said to the king, so he's doing this for four years, please let me go and pay my vow, which I have, made, which I have vowed before the Lord in Hebron. For your servant vowed a vow while I lived in Geshur in Aram, saying, if the Lord will indeed bring me back to Jerusalem, then I will offer worship to the Lord. The king said to him, go in peace. So he arose and went to Hebron. But Absalom sent secret messengers throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then say, Absalom is king at Hebron. With Absalom went two hundred men from Jerusalem who were invited guests, and they went in their innocence and knew nothing. And while Absalom was offering the sacrifices, he sent for Ahithophel the Gilanite, David's counselor, from his city, from his city Gilo. And the conspiracy grew strong, and the people with Absalom kept increasing. And a messenger came to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When people would walk away from an encounter with Absalom, they surely would have said, That Absalom seemed like a nice guy, didn't he? He was really listening. He was really, you know, connecting with me. He seemed like such a, a man of the people, a guy who could really relate to us and, and what we were going through. Whether or not he was telling the truth didn't really matter so much as 
seeming like he was on the side of all those people who were entering through the city gate to seek justice from the king. Absalom was an expert at convincing everyone who came to the palace seeking justice that he was on their side. He was going to do what was best for them. We find the words of Absalom to these people who had come to the city gate in, uh, at the beginning of our text of 2 Samuel 15. He said, See, your claims are good and right, but there's no one designated by the king to hear you. And Absalom would say, Oh, that I were judge in the land, and every man with a dispute or cause might come to me, and I would give him justice. I would do what's right. I would listen well, and I would be on your side. There's a word for this type of person. Absalom is a flatterer. Not only does he offer a solution for Israel's problems, he makes people feel good about following him, about trusting in him, about going to him for justice. Then verse 5 of our text, a little bit later, says that Absalom would extend his hand to the people who had come to the temple gate. He would take hold of their hand. He would kiss them, showing affection and And again, kind of, I'm on your side, I'm with you. And it turns out that people respond very positively to this kind of welcome. People really get on board with this kind of guy. After all, loyalty to the king, that's kind of boring. But Absalom, he's with us. He understands us. People move towards Absalom because he says what people like to hear. These visitors to the palace were already in a vulnerable state. These are people who had something bad happening in their life. That's why they were coming to the palace to seek justice. And so they're in a a vulnerable state because of something that's maybe been done to them or some difficult scenario in their life. And so Absalom knows how to exploit their vulnerability by promising to fix all their problems. If you would come to me, I would give you justice. There's a popular song in 1975 by the soul funk group, the OJs, that summarized the activity of Absalom. They sang a song that went to number one called, Give the People What They Want. Give the people what they want. Or at least promise to give the people what they want. Absalom even goes a step further than promising to give the people what they want. He convinces people that that really they need to get rid of David eventually if they're going to get what they want. And so he starts a mutiny, rebellion against his own father. The Apostle Paul wrote in to the Corinthians that this is the work of the devil. That is, it, it is the work of Satan to appear to be helpful while eventually pulling people away from loyalty to the king. Of course, we know the king being Christ. The Apostle Paul warned the Corinthians that the devil will appear as an angel of light, that the devil will appear as a pretty nice guy who's on your side. Speaking of teachers who pulled people away from Jesus, away from the church, the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 11, isn't this such a great description of Absalom? For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. 
So the devil is aware of what makes people feel good. This was the serpent's strategy in the Garden of Eden, and it continues all the way to today. What did he do in the Garden of Eden? His goal was to get in between Adam and Eve and God. His goal was to convince Adam and Eve that the serpent was on their side and God wasn't. God wasn't going to listen. God didn't care for them. That was the serpent's message for Adam and Eve, just like it was Absalom's message for all of Israel. The strategy is to get in between people and their king and to fill the people's minds with lies, to seem nice, to seem helpful to them, and to turn them against the king. So Absalom did just this by waiting at the city gate, and our passage said so powerfully, so Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Throughout the series, I've been saying Jesus is the greater David. And one message saying Jesus is the greater Jonathan, who is a perfect covenant-keeping friend. Jesus is the greater David, who defeats the spiritual enemies of the kingdom of God. Jesus is also the greater David in this story as well. And that puts us in the position of the Israelites. And don't we all know that we are just as fickle as the Israelites in following nice-sounding promises, so often moving away from our King who is Christ. Once again here, we see that Jesus is the greater David, and we are, like the Israelites, prone to wander after people, after promises that pull us away from loyalty to Him. Think of Jesus' own ministry, where two of His disciples acted in a way that is so similar to what Absalom did against King David. Two of Jesus' disciples turning against him. For Judas, the promise that got in between him and faithfulness to Jesus was that promise of money. The New Testament tells us that Judas loved money, and he was promised these 40 shekels of silver to betray Jesus. And so it was money that came in between him and following Jesus. And for Peter, it was peer pressure. His reputation is what he ended up valuing more than loyalty to Christ. And we've heard those stories so many times that maybe the betrayal has escaped us. In in thinking through these scenarios during the past week, I was thinking it's like having seen Star Wars so many times that you get to the end of The Empire Strikes Back where Darth Vader is Luke's father. And, well, yeah, everybody knows that now. And people could almost forget the shock that happened in theaters when that movie first came out. People yelling at the screen in shock of the the, the betrayal of the, the broken relationship. In, in that Star Wars story. And we, it's the same thing when we read the stories of the disciples at the trial of Jesus. Peter, we, and you, we almost get to the story and we know, yeah, this is the part where Judas leaves the Lord's Supper. Or this is the part where Peter is in the temple complex and he goes the other way. And the effect is almost lost on us because of the familiarity of those stories. But think of the betrayal of those moments where Jesus' disciples Out of all of the thousands of people who had followed after Jesus, these were the twelve who were the closest to him, walked away. 
Brothers and sisters, let's not be so foolish to think that it couldn't happen to us as well. You will need constant reminders to let nothing get in between you and Jesus. I do, and you do too. We need constant reminders of the gospel. The message of Christ, the message of the cross, the message of His resurrection, so that our loyalty would be firmly fixed to Christ and that we wouldn't even take one step off the straight and narrow path towards some other ruler, some other promise, some other idea. I recently heard a, a poignant example of this. A story of a man, a Chinese man, who lived in China and was terribly persecuted for his faith while he was living in China. He lived in a region of China where the church was, was very restricted, so much so that, that this man and his family, no Christians, could go to worship openly, but they, they had an underground church. They had to worship in secret. And it was so serious that no one, no one in the, uh, the uh, sort of the government could even know who the priest was because um, they, would, they would strike the shepherd and to scatter the sheep, as Jesus would say, would, would sometimes happen. And so this man was arrested because it was found out that he was worshiping um, regularly. And he was tortured by uh, those who were in authority as they would try to learn who the priest was who was coming um, to lead them in worship. So for weeks, they stripped the man naked, they electrocuted him, they starved him, but he would never tell who the priest was because he realized that if he named names, if he named the, the, the name of that priest, that, that the priest would be, would be killed and that this whole community then would suffer and not be able to worship the Lord. So, he was amazingly courageous in the face of persecution. And uh, eventually they realized they're not going to break this man, and so they, they let him go back home. And by God's grace, he and his family were even able to escape from China and come to the United States. And he lives to this day in Texas with his family. And the story doesn't end there. Uh, the Roman Catholic priest who was telling the story in a lecture that I was listening to said that he was aware the man lived a few hours from where he was giving the lecture. And he continued the story saying, upon arriving in the United States, this man was just in awe of the freedom of religion and, and loved so much to bring his family to church. And in the Roman Catholic tradition, you can go to church every day. And so that's exactly what he did with his family. It was this amazing blessing for his family as they were, were going to church every single day. What a gift that it was. And the man realized that one of the, the great things about America is that if you work hard, that you can earn a good living. And so the man was a hard worker and a very intelligent man. He became a successful businessman. And he saw that if the harder he worked, the more money he made. And eventually, he decided to start working some Sundays because he he's, could earn more money. You get paid a little bit extra when you work on Sunday in the field where he was. And so he saw that you now the occasional Sunday he could sacrifice to earn some more money, maybe for him and his family to make them more comfortable in this new land where they were living. But the occasional Sunday turned into a regular habit. 
And eventually, the man gave up going to church altogether because of his work commitments, because of his success in business, because his loyalty shifted from King Jesus to what is sometimes in our culture called the almighty dollar. So this Catholic priest who told the story said that the last he heard, the man did not even go to worship on Easter Sunday anymore. Work and the promise of wealth stole his heart away from the Lord. Hobbies have stolen the hearts of so many people away from the Lord. The weekend, this weekend experience of doing whatever I want, whenever I want to, especially in years of retirement, has stolen the hearts of so many people away from the Lord. And each of those things is nice, and work is good, hobbies are good, enjoying a weekend is, is good, but years of choosing worldly things over the Lord will take its toll, will shape your heart. Brothers and sisters, on the path of following Christ, there will be so many detours that look like fun, that look like they're going to be good for you. They're going to ultimately uh, bless you, and it's really what you need and what you want. But for Absalom, it was over four years of time pulled people away from King David. And for us today, it could be four years, ten years, twenty years of habits that get us off track in following the Lord. So what is it that flatters you? What is it that that flatters you, that pulls you, you know, in your heart of hearts, away from devotion, loyalty, worship to our King who is Christ? I've said this before, and I'll give the application again. Whatever it is that you don't want me to preach about is probably what is pulling you away from the Lord from your devotion to the Lord. So if you don't want me to preach about politics or sex or working towards a healthy marriage or money or your leisure time and how you use that, if you would really hope each week, don't go there, pastor, because that's kind of my nice little side thing that I like. To, to do just in my certain way. Don't, don't challenge me on this. You can, you can just talk about sin generally and those other kinds of things, but, but don't poke me, you know, in this area of my life. Then that's what flatters you. <laughs> that's what might, might seem nice for a season, but could eventually kind of turn into a monster like, like Absalom did and, and pulling people so far away from loyalty to Christ. Absalom worked on those people in Israel for four years. And if you fall into a habit of allowing something to distract you from following Jesus, you too will eventually revolt against the Word of God in the same way that Israel turned against David. So, where's the hope in this story? That's the challenge, but where's the hope? And we find that that there is grace that comes quite a few chapters later. In 2 Samuel 19, verse 23 is what I want to focus on. One verse 
about one man who revolted against David, who was a part of this, um, this rebellion against um, David. He followed after Absalom, and the man's name is Shimei. And um, the, word, the words of 2 Samuel 19, verse 23, will be on the screen behind me. But at first I want to describe Shimei's life, that Shimei not only went with Absalom against David in leading soldiers to attack David, but Shimei even went further than that, and he spoke curses against the house of David as well. And so this guy wasn't just kind of indifferent, and he got a little bit swept up in the movement, the rebellion, but, but he was at the front of the parade. He, he, was, he hated David, Shimei. And later on, Shimei, after David has been restored to becoming king of Israel, um, Absalom has been killed by David's general's bodyguards, and um, we won't get into all of the details of that story, but I want to focus on this restoration of Shimei to David in 2 Samuel 19. Shimei comes to him apologizing. David responds, and, king, and the king said to Shimei, this is 2 Samuel 19, verse 23, you shall not die. And the king gave him his oath. This is grace. This is the Spirit of God at work in David, equipping him to forgive this man who helped lead a rebellion against him. Again, Jesus is the greater David. Jesus is the greater David who forgives his enemies, who forgives us who rebel against him. Do you ever feel like you've failed so bad and let God down by rebelling against him? Like you're just stuck in a rut and you just feel like, man, I I don't know how to get back. I don't know how God could forgive me this time. If you never feel that way, there is probably a problem with your conscience because you should feel that way whenever you sin. Like you're just stuck. You got drawn away from the Lord by something that you thought seemed nice for a moment. You got drawn away from the Lord. Your loyalty was broken for a moment and you gave your loyalty to some sin or some pleasure. The fact that you are here worshiping God, the fact that you are opening His Word means that God has not turned His back on you but he is, he is drawing you back towards himself through his word. That God is showing grace towards you. That God will not forsake those who come back, who seek him. The purpose of my sermon today is to reset all of us, all of our lives, onto the life that you can have in Christ. The purpose of this sermon, the purpose of weekly worship, is to reset our loyalty onto King Jesus. Reset our loyalty off of pleasures, worldly things, pride, selfishness. Reset our loyalty off of those things and onto the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of my message today. It's going to be the purpose of my message tonight. It's going to be the purpose of my sermon next Sunday. And every week, 
resetting our loyalty onto Jesus Christ so that after four years or ten years, we don't find ourselves wondering, whoa, my life doesn't look anything like the Word of God says my life should look. But if you're into this routine, not just of weekly resetting, but daily resetting, even as you wake up in the morning, oh Lord, help me to be loyal to you, serving you, trusting you, coming to you for the help whenever I need it. That's the Christian life. Why do we need this repetition? Why do we, why do we need to hear the gospel every week? The canons of Dort are really clear that the, the repetition of the gospel message of the Word of God is what every Christian needs. The sacraments are what the Christian needs to participate in so that we would be filled with faith and reminded to reset our loyalty onto the Lord. Why do we need all these reminders? Because we are so fickle, just like Israel. We'll sing in just a moment. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And I love the next line. Here's my heart, Lord. Take it. Seal it. Seal it for your courts above. Here's my heart. Hold on to it, God. (laughs) Keep me close to you. So, brothers and sisters, do not take one step away from following the Lord Jesus. Even for a day. And if it's been for years and years, it's time to come back to trust in Him. Satan knows how to use good things to pull you away from God. But there is grace and God's power is greater. So I want to close with the words of the Canons of Dort. Part 5, Article 3, the teaching of the perseverance of the saints, how God will keep us in his care. Because of these remnants of sin dwelling in, let's say, us, not just them generally, but us, and also because of the temptations of the world and Satan, those who have been converted could not remain standing in this grace if left to their own resources. We would be quickly convinced to walk away from Jesus if left to our own devices. But God is faithful, mercifully strengthening us in the grace once conferred on us and powerfully preserving us in it to the end. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray. O Lord, you are a great God worthy of our unwavering loyalty. And we're so distracted, so easily convinced, so easily swayed away from your will, from life in Jesus. So God, we pray first that you will forgive us for our wandering. And we pray second that you will restore to each of us a devotion to Jesus. Loyalty to our King. Oh God, we know that it is better to live one day in your presence than a thousand days elsewhere. God, we know that it is in your presence, in your dwelling place, that we receive real, lasting blessing. So God, we pray that you would take our hearts 
and seal them, that you would hold us close to yourself, that we would not rebel against you, but that we would love being your people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we'll sing that great hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, uh, verses 1 and 3. Verse 3 is particularly that verse.